0: That is so good. Oh my goodness. This is an exciting time for us, isn't it? East Asia. Woo! 2008 seemed like a long time ago to you guys, didn't it? It's amazing. We've been talking about how God's kingdom is so big, right? Even when we have someone share uh, passages uh, In a language other than English, it can just bring us back, remind us how God's kingdom is bigger than our little world, and moments like this are a reminder of that. And not only uh, is his kingdom huge, he invites us to follow and changes us through our faith in Christ. It's amazing to think that 10 years ago when we met Nate and Katie that God had them on a course to not go from a small town in Ohio all the way across the world. Uh, as part of his mission. It's amazing to see how their faith in action uh, has been demonstrated. And that's what we've been looking at in our series, right? If you guys have been here the last few weeks, you know we started a series in the book of James and it's called Faith Intention. And we're really looking at one thing, one question. We're looking at the book of James and we're wrestling with what does genuine faith in Jesus Christ look like in the real world? What does it look like? How does it change us? And it can get confusing, right? It can get confusing when we think about how do I follow Jesus in this situation in my life. I thought this week was, was uh, really an interesting week for us as a nation, as a culture. I'm not a super political person. And I know if I did a poll here of all of you guys, you're probably all over the map in terms of what your political views are. Um, but I don't know if you are following the news this week with the whole Supreme Court nomination and, and confirmation <laughs> But it was a great reminder to me that there are some big cultural conversations that we're having right now, right? We're, we're, we're discussing, we're talking about uh, things like sexual misconduct and respect and privilege and favoritism and people learning to find their voice and speak out against things, right? The Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, all the discussion about immigration, how do we view people that are trying to come into this country? And it's not even just out there, right? I read recently that, uh, that Yale is being sued. Have you guys heard this? There's a lawsuit against Yale. Uh, people are accusing them of discrimination against Asian students, that they have been limiting the number of Asian students that would be able to get in. And they've been doing it in a way that hasn't been above board. That's the accusation. And so it, in every area of our life, there are these things that are on kind of our cultural conversation, and we're trying to navigate what do we do? Right? Do you guys ever think that as we hear about these things? And it's not our culture that's unique or our generation that's unique to be wrestling with these sort of deep things, to be wrestling with issues of privilege and power and favoritism and partiality. But for us, as a follower of Jesus, in the midst of our culture, isn't it hard sometimes to discern, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be thinking about these things? How do we respond? How do we conduct ourselves? Anyone ever think that? You ever wonder that? I think about this all the time. Yes, Evan does. Thank you, Evan. (laughs) I just need one hand and I'm going to keep going. As long as one of you says yes. That is what I love about this book. Okay, you guys know we, we think the Bible is God's word. And I know that we live in a culture that will tell you this book is super old and it is not relevant. It does not apply to life. But we think that is not true at all. In fact, the passage we're going to look at today, I've been excited about talking about it because I think it hits so close to home in some of the things that we're talking about as a culture right now because it is relevant today. It is life-changing today. God's Word has something to say to us. So we're in the book of James, and if you have a Bible, flip to chapter 2. We have finally made it to chapter 2. And you know, the context here of the book is, is James is exhorting these men and women who love Jesus to live a life that reflects their sincere faith, Okay? a life that reflects faith in Jesus. And this is what he says, starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The key word here, obviously, is partiality. He says, "Say, show no partiality. And the Greek word there, it's a really long word. Proso palemsia. And the word literally means to receive the face or to accept the face of. And it's an idiom that was used at that time, and it means to make judgments or distinctions based on external considerations, such as physical appearance or social status or race. And so James starts with this bold declaration, as followers of Jesus show no partiality, show no favoritism, show no discrimination based on external considerations, We as a people are not to make judgments or distinctions based on the external. You think, okay, that's kind of a a general idea there. What what would this look like? And he gives an example. Verse 2, it says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit at my feet. Have you not Or to, to help us see what he means by partiality, he gives this example of a rich person and a poor person coming into their assembly. In the assembly, the setting most likely is like a worship service or any gathering of Christians where others are welcome to come and join. And so it was, it was something that was open to people joining and, and these individuals are just described by their appearance, so they're probably visitors, right? They don't know anything about them other than how they look. And one is rich, and so they're invited to sit in the seat of honor. I don't know what the seat of honor would be here, probably in the balcony. And then the poor person gets the bad seat, no, it's like front row seat. No, just kidding. But (laughs) a seat of dishonor, you stand or you sit over there. And he's drawing this distinction of how they're treated. And at the time, that would have resonated very deeply because the time there First century Palestine, the culture was marked by really strong distinctions, socioeconomic distinctions. So being rich and poor, those were big deals, and they were clear distinctions in society about them. And and we have that a little bit, right? We have a culture. We live in a culture where sometimes if you're rich, you get special treatment. If you're poor, you don't. But this this is broader than that, right? There's actually any sort of partiality that has to deal with the external, he's referring to. And I think about our culture, and think about the distinctions that we make, and the ways partiality is shown. Where do we as a culture accept the face? We, we look at the external and we make judgments based on them. For many people, it's race. They make judgments based on someone's race, or their nationality, or their, their sex. If someone's of a different sex, they they won't listen to them or they don't respect them or maybe it's how they dress or what they look like. In your circles, maybe it's how popular they are or how cool they are. How many times has someone who is beautiful gotten special treatment and someone who's not as beautiful not gotten special treatment or someone who's cool or trendy or has an epic beard of some sort? (laughs) I know, I'm a little jealous. Can't grow one. It's all patchy. Right? We have our things. Some of them are really superficial. Some of them are, are deeper. But there's these things that we look to people and we, we start to to treat them differently. Athletes, right? If OSU football players came in here. Be like, oh look, who ass. Right? The minute that happened, wouldn't we do that? External appearance. And, and what James gets at in this passage is there's a great irony in that, right? It's, it's the, the world's judgments, the world's evaluation of people actually cause us a lot of grief, don't they? Right? He's saying, look, you're revering the rich people. The rich people who are, who are making your lives miserable, many of the rich people are the ones who are oppressing you guys and persecuting you guys. But if they show up in your meeting, you honor them. Isn't that crazy? And Don't we do that all the time? I have four kids, they're all in school, right? Three of them are in high school, one's in middle school. And there's these cool, popular kids. And you know, you can imagine my kids may not run in those circles. (laughs) Poor pastor kids. But many of them want to. And they find themselves being really nice and honoring these popular kids who aren't even nice to them. Isn't that crazy? Right? If you're going to show favoritism, you should probably show favoritism to people who are nice to you. But no, it's, it's just the world has imprinted us with these values, wherever we got them. And so all of a sudden, we're honoring people based on these external things that do not matter, that we should not be evaluating people on. And it actually does us harm. Have you experienced that? Not only are we doing harm by showing partiality, it actually doesn't do us any favors either. And he's sharing that with them. And and you may think, okay, what's the big deal here? Remember the context. The context is James is exhorting them to a sincere faith. He is painting a picture for them of what real faith looks like. Look what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Our God does not show partiality. He does not judge by the external. Did you know that? In fact, the the only other three times this Greek word is used in the New Testament, it's used in Romans and it's used in Ephesians and Colossians. It's always used to describe God. With God, there is no partiality. He is not one that judges by external things. He is not one that says, oh, this one is special because of the way they dress or they are from the special race, special nation. That's not how he operates. And we see this, right? If you read the Gospels, you see this in the life of Jesus. What did he do? It was like he intentionally went to every sort of barrier, and he broke it down. He took every sort of worldly custom, and he turned it on its head. He did not accept the faith. Right? He was the one that when he interacted with someone, he would not evaluate them based on the external like everyone else did. He would get to their heart. He wouldn't be marginalizing the marginalized. He didn't put people into categories and set them aside. He went deeper than that. Now, he didn't pretend that our differences didn't exist, right? Right? The Bible doesn't teach us that, oh, well, races don't really exist anymore, nations don't really exist anymore, there isn't rich or poor. We're all the same. That's not true. That's not reality. They do exist. They're real. In fact, we can celebrate some of those things. But in the church... No matter what the differences are externally, what what the New Testament teaches us is there's always something bigger, and that bigger thing is our faith in Jesus Christ. And through that faith in Jesus Christ, we can actually be unified. We can treat one another with honor and respect, every single one of us, because of him. And, And to be honest with you, it is probably the thing in the New Testament that affected the world the most that there was a group of people that had all of these differences and all of these barriers that naturally would keep them apart, but they loved and honored one another, and people couldn't explain it, other than to say, Jesus must be powerful. And what James is doing is he is boldly saying, partiality, it is inconsistent with faith in the one who came to break down the barriers of nationality, race, class, and gender. It is inconsistent with faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible is crystal clear about this. The church has not been, and our history is not great, but using Scripture to promote discrimination is wrong. And I know you guys know that already, and you've heard that before, but let me reinforce that. It is wrong. In fact, the church is supposed to be the refuge from the judgments and discrimination of the world. It is supposed to be a place of refuge from that. The one place, God's kingdom, where all those external things that we are judged by and we judge one another by are set aside. That there's a refuge from that. And let me, let me put a disclaimer on that. That doesn't mean there's no judgments, Right? That God just says, yes, you're all good. We know that we're broken and we've fallen. And we need reconciliation with Jesus Christ. But God is not judging us and basing things on our external or our superficial. It's all about our response to Jesus Christ. Our submission to him. And so we read a passage like this and we naturally, we have to ask the question, how are we showing favoritism? How are we showing, showing favoritism as a church, as a congregation? How are we showing favoritism? Who are we giving way too much honor to? And who are we not showing enough honor to? Some of you may have heard of uh, Francis Chan. He's an author, and he's a pastor, and he, he was given a sermon on this, and I was watching it on YouTube, and he, uh, he showed a video. He's like, yeah, we got we to gotta talk about favoritism And I know what you're thinking, we don't show favoritism, but I did an experiment. And apparently the experiment was him standing by a table, and then he got some high school kid. He's like, oh, I got some punk kid to sit next to me, you know, and I don't know his name was, Bruce or something. And he he sat over here. And then he had a counter. And he's like, I just wanted to see who greeted me and who greeted him. And then he showed the video to, to his church. And there were all the people he knew. It's like, oh, here's Bob. Oh, Bob doesn't want to see Bruce. He just wants to see me. OK, here's Teresa. Oh, hi, Teresa. And he's just recounting it, which I thought was pretty bold because he's using all their names. <laughs> and there's this counter going ahead, and 10 people greet him, 15 people greet him, and nobody greets the other guy. Finally, somebody interacts with the other kid, and the only interaction he gets is to ask if they would, he would take a picture of them and Francis Chan. <laughs> That's the only time he was acknowledged in the whole video. And I was watching that and you know it was a powerfully made point for his congregation I'm sure but it just made me think who who are those people for us? Who are those people that are ignored when they are here? Who are those people that are forgotten? Who are those people that feel marginalized by the world and were hoping for something different when they stepped into our space and were disappointed? because I know we're doing it. We're not so naive as to think, oh yeah, no, 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 that doesn't happen here. James is exposing that. And he's, he's, he's asking them to open up their eyes. This is what he says next. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He refers to this royal law, and James uses the word law in in a broader sense than just like the law of the Old Testament. He's incorporating Jesus' example, Jesus' teaching in life. So this law he's referring to is is the law that is fulfilled and filtered through the person of Jesus. It It is the example and the rule of our king. And he is saying this, this is the law we'll be judged by. And one of its most fundamental demands is love. It is love. Discriminating against people, whether on the basis of their dress or their nationality or their social class or race, is a clear violation of the love to which Jesus calls us. And you notice I've said that like 40 times now. And there's a reason. Because what James is doing here is he's helping the readers to just elevate this, Right? He's saying, look, you wouldn't be like, hey, I'm doing fine because I don't commit adultery, but I murder. You'd be like, no, that's bad. (laughs) And he's putting, he's saying, look, this this, this is the same thing. This is in the same category. You can't see this as like a small thing. If you're showing partiality and favoritism, if you're judging people by external things and not loving them as a result, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You guys need to pay attention. That's what he's saying to them. You need to, to, to look at this. This isn't just another thing to add to your how to be a good Christian list. This is a gospel issue. This is do you get the gospel? Right? What does the gospel teach us? What is the good news? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're, we're all broken. We've all rebelled. We're all in trouble. We're all a mess. And we're redeemed, we're rescued. By Jesus' great mercy, not because we belong to this certain race or this nationality or we have these good works or we can grow an epic beard. Those are not the reasons why. The reasons why because of the grace of God that we just have to humble ourselves before. We have to acknowledge that we're not bringing anything to the table. We need to put our faith in Jesus. That is what redeems us. And genuine faith, genuine understanding of how far we have gone and how much God has loved us will bring about love for people. It will produce real love for people. And so what James is saying here is the goal is not to just fake it. You know, hey, have a rule that the rich and the poor have to sit in the same section. No, we have a heart problem. We need a heart change. This is a heart issue. Our merciful attitude and actions will count as evidence of the presence of Christ within us. It will count as evidence that we understand the gospel. It is. It demonstrates it. Showing partiality is counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that? The gospel teaches us of the frailty of people, right? There should be no celebrities in the church. You guys know that, right? There's no celebrities. There's no heroes, right? You, must, you love Vivek, but he's, he's, don't make him a celebrity. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I knew I'd get at least one amen from that. James points to this right in verse 1. He says, This, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He is the one whom all glory should be directed to. He is the one of all, all praise, all honor. And we want to praise people, we want to elevate them, we want to put them on a little pedestal. Oh, you're a celebrity, right? That's what Francis Chan was getting at. He's like, Don't make me a celebrity. There's no reason 15 of you should greet me and nobody should greet this other guy. But we want to do that. We live in a celebrity culture, don't we? And the church is supposed to be different. The gospel teaches that. We're all broken. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all here because of God's mercy. That's the only reason we exist. But the gospel also teaches us the value of people. That people were so important that God sent his son to die for them. That's a big deal. They are valuable. And Jesus came and he showed us how to see people properly, not as a nuisance, part of that group that annoys us, but as individuals with a story and a brokenness and a hope. And we can start to see people that way. We can stop just putting them in categories and go a little deeper. The gospel teaches us that. And and as we read this and we're challenged by this, there's one question we have to wrestle with, and that's simply this, what is going on in my heart? What is going on in my heart? As you read this, to wrestle with, okay, where's my heart? And I'll just be honest with you. I've been reading this. About 10 days ago, I started uh, fleshing all this out. And I thought, you know, I think I'm pretty good at this, actually. You know, I'm the son of immigrants, so I understand different nationalities and different cultures. And I have a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of people. And, and even though I'm getting kind of old, I'm, I'm cool with old people. But in young people, I see you guys a lot. So got kids of my own. I felt pretty good, just to be honest. And I thought, that's probably not healthy. So, <laughs> so I started writing down every time I noticed a heart of partiality, a heart of judgment a heart of favoritism, a heart where I am just staying by the appearance of the face. I'm judging by what I see. And I'm going to share these with you. You might think slightly less of me after this. But I think it was important. The day that I, that I started doing this, literally I went somewhere. I was praying in my house. Then I went somewhere and I drove somewhere and someone was driving really slow and I passed them in annoyance and I saw it was an older person and I immediately thought, oh, that makes sense, right? <laughs> Old person. Boom, I'm judging them. I went to a a sporting event of my kids, and there was one parent, this lady was really uh, boisterous about her opinions of everything, and I I remember distinctly looking her up and down and thinking, come on, you didn't play sports in high school. What do you know? I don't even know what I was judging there. It was probably sexist and ageist and something else. But in my heart, that's what I was thinking. Oh, I don't have to listen to you. I met a guy who was uh, excited about doing work on campus and we were talking about different things on campus and campus ministry and outreach on campus and he happened to have a beard and he happened to be wearing skinny jeans and I remember thinking, "Oh, you're trying too hard." I know. I was just judging everybody at this point. I remember I was driving near Upper Arlington. And two kids were like in a BMW. They looked like they were high school kids, and they sped by me. And I remember thinking, privilege. That's, that is what I thought. And I had disdain for two kids just having fun. I went to play basketball. When you play basketball at my age, <laughs> you have to be really careful about who you guard. Because one, you'll get humiliated, and two, you could get injured. So humiliated you're injured, right? That whole breaking ankle thing. That's a real issue now at my age. So I I have to hand pick who I'm going to guard. So you look at the team, and I remember distinctly thinking, oh, they have an international student. I'll cover them. Totally assuming an international student is not going to be as good. The guy absolutely destroyed me. (laughs) Worse than that, he called me sir the whole time. At one point, I fell over. I tripped over myself, and he's like, sorry, sir. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? (laughs) It was like coals on my head being poured. I went through these last 10 days, and every single day, there were multiple things. And they are coming from here. I have a problem. And I like to entertain the thought that I don't, but I do and how dishonoring is that to someone? How dishonoring is that to look at someone and decide, I know you, even though I've never spoken to you. I know your value. I know how you can drive. I know how good you'll be at basketball. whatever it is that we are assuming based on the external, and it reminded me of how glad I am for the people in my life who have not done that to me. Who have taken the time to say, no, no, you're a person I'm gonna to get to know you. What you're about and how you think. What is going on in my heart? This is my simple exhortation to you guys this morning. Is to just wrestle with that. You don't have to take 10 days, but but to, to pray and say, God, is there something here for me? You know, some passages of scripture. We learn important new information. Some passages of Scripture exhort us, and and they're encouraging, and they're promises of God. And some, they kind of smack us in the face. And I really think this is the sort of passage that is supposed to get our attention and is supposed to challenge us. But we need to do what Aziz told us last week to do, right? We need to decide, are we going to be hearers of the word or doers? Are we going to be spectators or players? Are we going to be consumers or are we going to be contributors, and we have to look at a passage like this and say, are we going to really press into this? Or are we going to say, oh, that's cool, and then move on? And guys, we want to change the world, don't we? Like when I hear about the stuff like from this week, it gets me fired up. I think, I want to see a world of justice. I want to see a world where, where people are heard and where things like abuse... And, and assault are taken seriously and where there's not so much antagonism but people are hearing one another and talking to one another and I want to hear people who feel like they're not heard heard and we, we want to see all of these grand things happen we, because it, it gives God glory. But before we do any of that, we really just need to take a step back and ask, okay, God, what do you, what do you want to do here? What do you want to expose in my life? And guys, it is so important. This week I had one of my kids tell me that that they were riding on a bus somewhere, and that multiple kids told them that that they couldn't sit with them because they didn't they weren't cool enough. You gotta go find another seat on the bus. I don't want to sit with you. And my child felt very rejected and very hurt, and I had deep rage in my heart. I'll just be honest. When, when I hear a story like that, and I know it's inappropriate, I immediately like, all right, tell me where, which kids was it, and I'm going to go find them. And I say, you can't sit on my seat. You can't sit on my bus. Get off my bus. You know, I, I just go to this, this twisted place, dark place. It's not healthy. It's not good. It doesn't reflect God. But I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, this is what we're doing to one another, right? This is what we're doing when somebody comes into our midst and we treat them disrespectfully or we marginalize them or we say, yeah, you sit there over there. This person's special. We're, we're basically doing the same thing. And God, our Father, how, how does he feel about that? I'm sure he doesn't have this weird, irrational rage like I do, but I bet at him a lot. When we don't show one another or show people that come on our doors respect and honor Every time someone is dishonored in this place, they're judged by their appearance. I think it grieves the Lord. But I also think mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus taught us that, He taught us to remember that. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in a time of communion right now. And I just want to introduce this time to you by sharing with you what Paul says about it in Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is something that that Christ instituted and it's for us as his followers. And it's for us to remember what he did in the past on the cross as a sacrifice for us. Remember how he has rescued us and also look to the future. The fact that we are going to be with him. And we don't often share this next part, but there's an exhortation of Paul right at the end of this section of Corinthians. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord... In an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. It's like, whoa, okay. And the context here is, is the church in Corinth, there was factions. There was disunity. There were people treating each other disrespectfully. They were playing favorites. And Paul exhorts them, look, take communion. Remember what Jesus has done for you, but examine your hearts. Examine your hearts before you walk up there. And I don't know what God might be stirring up in you. I don't know what what he may be laying on your hearts. But I just want to exhort you, as we worship here for a few songs, If God is laying anything on your heart, respond the way we've been taught to respond. Just repent. Just to communicate to God, you know what? My heart hasn't quite been where it needs to be in terms of loving the people around me, loving this family. I see favoritism. I see partiality. I see discrimination in my heart, and I want to turn away from that. And then come up And take the bread and dip it in the juice. I think we have gluten-free over there. And know, remember that God's mercy is bigger than that judgment. You are forgiven, even now. We are forgiven for our our hypocrisy. And let's let that reality continue to change us so that we, as a community, become lovers of every single person that walks through that door so that we can reflect the heart of our Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Even here as we take this bread and juice, we remember the fact that while we were far away from you, not only did you not forget about us, that you pursued us and you have rescued us. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you did not Judge us by just our external. And Lord, I pray that you would turn us into a community that is so enamored with your love, so amazed by your grace, that we are willing to do the hard work, the uncomfortable work of sitting with people that are different from us and loving them, treating them with honor and treating them with respect the way you've taught us to do. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.